Today on Awakened to Grace, we are in a special section of our study on the life of Joseph. We are calling this, as the Bible calls it, the king's prison. We see Joseph. He's done the right thing. He said no to Potiphar's wife. And just right when you would think that God would reward Joseph and his actions, it seems as though God did the exact opposite. He finds himself in prison, in the king's prison. Well, friends, there are times in our life that it seems that not only is life unfair, but sometimes it seems that God is unfair. And if you are in a season right now where it feels like God just isn't fair, you've tried to live right, you've tried to honor God, you've tried to live for God, and yet things have not worked out. Perhaps you found, right now you find yourself in what you would call the king's prison. Well, take heart, my friend, because there are some incredible lessons that the only place we can learn them is in the king's prison. I know today is going to be a great encouragement to you as you listen to Awaken to Grace. pick up in verse 20 of Genesis 39, Joseph is thrown, falsely accused. He's thrown into the king's prison. That's what I want to title today's message, The King's Prison. I find it interesting that Joseph was not in an ordinary prison. (laughs) Joseph was not confined in a prison of his own making by no means, He was falsely accused, but yet the Bible calls it the king's prison. Now, those of you who have known me for a while, you know that I've been to Egypt many times. I've been to Egypt, I think, eight times. And almost every time I've gone to Egypt, I've visited the prisons because that's how my ministry began in Egypt. I knew of some Christians over there who were in there for their faith, and we began to write them letters and They, through a pastor, wrote back and said, Pastor Chad, will you come visit us? And that's how my ministry began in the Middle East. And since then, the Lord has sent us all over the Middle East to preach the gospel. But almost every time I've went to Egypt, I have went to an Egyptian prison. And let me tell you, an Egyptian prison is nothing to write home about. But that's today. I can't imagine what an Egyptian prison was in Joseph's day. Later on in the next chapter, when Pharaoh calls for Joseph, the Bible actually says that they brought him up out of the pit of prison. Apparently, this was an underground prison, and I, can't rem- I just can't imagine in my mind how dark it was, how damp it was, how uncomfortable it was. And the premise of today, what I want to share with you today, is what do you do when you find yourself in the king's prison? What do you find, what do you do when you find that not only is life sometimes unfair, and we've all experienced that, right? We all know that life sometimes is unfair, but what do you do when it seems as though God is unfair? And how many of you have ever experienced that? Some of you are like, I I don't know what's right. Do I say yes, no to that? Is that... (laughs) Come on, do you know what I'm talking about today? Have you ever felt like God was unfair in your life? And I think what the Bible would call that 
is the king's prison. There are many lessons I want to share with you today out of Joseph's life, and I encourage you to write them down because, as I've said through this series, it may be something you need right now today, or it may be something you need a year from now. So take these principles to heart. Number one, I want you to note, in the king's prison, Joseph was not alone. Notice what verse 21 says. It says that the Lord was with Joseph. Hallelujah. That means so much to me. That phrase means so much to me because I don't know if you're like me, but as I'm studying Joseph's life and I see that he was ripped from his father, he was conspired against, against his brothers. He was unjustly sold for the price of a slave, only 20 pieces of silver. He was carried against his will down to Egypt. He was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. And yet in it all, he did the right thing. How easy it would have been for Joseph to say, you know what, where was God when I was thrown in the pit? Where was God when I was carried down to Egypt? Where was God when Potiphar's wife advanced me and I said, how can I sin and do this wickedness in the eyes of God? And now look where I've landed in prison. Where is God in my life? How often in human nature are you and I tempted to say, but where is God? I've done the right things. I'm trying to be clean before the Lord. I'm trying to live right. I'm trying to make good decisions. I'm doing the absolute best that I know how to do. And I don't know how to do any better. But where is God? Have you ever been tempted to feel that way? And you know what the Bible so clearly tells us? But the Lord was with Joseph. The point is, and this is what I want you to get today, you and I have the ability, we have the hindsight of looking back over Joseph's life and seeing the providential hand of God in every circumstance. And you and I can probably look back over our past and we can see the hand of God in the past. But are you able to see the hand of God now in the present? Are you able to see the hand of God in your current hardship? Are you able to see God's hand in the fierceness of the trial that you're walking through right now? Can you see God's hand in the present? The Lord was with Joseph. And today, I don't know what you're facing, and I don't know what you're walking through, and I don't know the questions of your heart, and I don't know the questions of your faith, but I want to remind you today, based on the authority of God's word, the Lord is with you. Amen. Amen. You're not alone. He's with you. And I believe Joseph had the ability to sense the presence of God, even in prison. I imagine Joseph as a young man in his 20s, because we know he was 17 when he left Egypt, when he was ripped out of Canaan and brought down to Egypt. So I'm picturing he's probably in his early 20s, and I'm sure he feels like his life is over. It's not like you take a judge, it's not like you take an attorney before a judge and you plead a deal. Let me tell you, a man I met in Egypt one time on one of my visits. I can't remember the brother's name because I called him Joseph from then on out. And he was a brother from Sri Lanka. I went to El Kanatar prison in, outside of Cairo, as I do so often when I go there. And it was during Ramadan. 
and it was packed. They brought us in a holding cell, I would say, probably the size of the stage, 20 by 40. Very large. People everywhere, so packed, you couldn't hardly even move because family were visiting inmates where it was Ramadan and bringing them food. And this brother began to tell me his story, so much like Joseph. He was from Sri Lanka, and a family from France had hired him to move them from Sri Lanka back to France. And he's carrying their luggage and going through Egypt. And when they get to Cairo, the luggage is searched. And unknowingly to him, he was unknowingly smuggling drugs for them. You know, when you get caught with drugs in Egypt, it's automatic 20 years, no questions asked. There's no pleading a deal, 20 years. There's, there's no good behavior, 20 years. And you will serve 20 years with no questions asked. And here this brother is, he's from Sri Lanka. He doesn't know the language, he doesn't know the culture. He couldn't speak a word of Arabic, but it didn't matter, 20 years in an Egyptian prison. I'm sitting in this large holding cell with this brother across from me and he's telling me his story. And he begins to weep and he said, Chad, I'm 18 years into my prison sentence. He said, I'm going to be let out in two years. And he said, when I get let out in two years, I'm going home to Sri Lanka as a missionary. He said, Chad, the greatest thing that God ever did for me was put me in an Egyptian prison because this is where I found Jesus. Amen. And his life had totally changed. And he begins telling me a story. And oh my goodness. And, and, and this man, I mean, you can imagine. He's from Sri Lanka. And, and he's very small in stature. I was a mountain compared to him. And he's very small in stature. And he begins telling me a story. And I began talking. And I start, you know, I'm calling him Joseph. And I'm rejoicing. And he's rejoicing. And this man just falls into my chest and begins wailing. Not of sorrow, not of despair, but of confident hope that God's going to use him. And here's 40 feet of nothing but Muslims, and they all come to a dead silence. And he is in my chest sobbing. And I lay hands on him and I begin to pray out loud. I didn't care who was listening. I prayed out loud. I preached over the brother that God was going to bless him and use him and send him home. And boy, God did just that. Amen. Amen. See, in this brother's case, it was automatic 20 years. No questions asked. What was it for Joseph? The Bible don't tell us. I bet as a young man, probably early, maybe mid-20s, I bet he felt like his life was over. And here he sat, underground, in a prison, and he finds himself in a pit again. But yet the Lord is with him. At that point, I don't know how you would feel, but at that point, I believe I would have began talking to the Lord about fairness. If you're like me, when you come to this point of the story, you're saying, God... He's been so unjustly treated by his brothers. He was sold into slavery. He's been so unjustly treated in this false accusation by Potiphar's wife. And yet in the midst of it all, he did the right thing. Now's the time to cut him a break. Now's the time to reward him. And what does God do? 
seemingly the exact opposite. Is that fair? Does that seem fair to you? That God would land him in the king's prison? You know what the problem is for Christians when it comes to fairness? The problem with fairness in our lives, I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about for believers. I'm talking about people who want to follow Jesus. They're willing to take up their cross and they're willing to follow him. Do you know what the problem for us is with fairness? Is that it's in stark contrast to faith. Faith and fairness are in opposition to one another. If my life is about fairness, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, God, I want what I deserve. I deserve comfort. I deserve a break. I deserve based according to my behavior or based according to my decisions. Give me, God, what I deserve. Fairness says, I'm going to compare my life to others. Well, God, they're not as bad as I am, or or they're worse than I am. I'm not near as bad as what they are. I know people way worse than me. I know people who who are far times worse than I am, and yet they're way better off. And fairness always compares. Does it not? And for us, fairness is not the issue. If you're someone today that you're sitting there going, you know what? My life just isn't fair. Let me tell you, my friend, you're focused on the wrong thing. Because to a Christian, fairness doesn't matter. Faith is what matters. And while fairness compares my life to others, and while fairness compares my circumstances, and while fairness seeks my own comfort and my own desires and my own will, do you know what faith does? Faith says, no, take all that away. Give me the glory of God. If my life can glorify God, that's what I want. And as Christians, that's what we should be focused on. Not what I deserve, but what gives God glory. I've been pondering this deeply in my own season of blindness. The Lord is reminding me so often that, listen, you and I, believers, we have an eternity awaiting us. (laughs) We have an eternity where there is absolutely no suffering. There is no pain. There is no disease. There is no death. The Bible says that God himself with his own hand will wipe away every tear out of our eye. And you know what that means? That means that as the Bible says, as Paul wrote, these light and these momentary afflictions are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Do you know what that means? That means that you and I have unique opportunities right now in this life to glorify God with the sufferings that we face. That we'll never have another opportunity for all of eternity to glorify God with again. It's right here in this life. That's why the Bible says that when you and I are suffering and we are being tried as as we're being refined as gold is refined. That's why Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1 that it is going to result in the praise and honor and glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. And for all of eternity, our present sufferings will glorify God forever. 
You see, Joseph was 17 when he was sold to slavery. He was 30. He was 30 when he became prime minister. See, here's what you and I have to understand. Joseph suffered 13 years, but he lived 80 more blessed of the Lord. What a small price to pay for the rest of his life. What a small price to pay that here, centuries later, you and I are still glorifying God because of what he did in the prison. Don't despise the king's prison. Don't stomp your feet. Don't hold your breath. Don't tell God you're not going to pray anymore. Don't tell God you'll quit church. Don't tell God all this and that. Don't stomp your feet at God. Don't despise the king's prison. Amen? So number one, God was with Joseph. Number two, Joseph wasn't worried about fairness. He was focused on faith. He was going to glorify God. Now, how did he glorify God? Well, turn over to chapter 40 with me. And we know that Joseph was in the prison. The Lord was with him. We don't know how long he's there. But as providence would have it. (laughs) See, this is what I want you to see today. As providence would have it. Two officials of Pharaoh were thrown into the same prison as Joseph. You think that was coincidence? You know, last night, I sat down last night and uh, watched the first half of my Tennessee game and got depressed and decided to listen to some scripture instead. That was a much better choice, much better choice. I thought after halftime, I would come back to the game but I got sucked in. I began listening to Genesis chapter 39 and then it was chapter 40 and then it was 41 and 42 and 43 and 44 and 45 and 46. It felt like the score of the Tennessee game, right? Against us. But anyways, uh, I didn't, you know, I just, I, I lost all interest in that and I got sucked into Joseph's life and I went from 39 to chapter 50. And you know what I, and you know, and I, and I just reveled in it. I mean, I just, oh, it was riveting to me. And you know what I noticed? In all of his life, now, li- now listen to this. As far as what we know and what's recorded, he never mentioned Potiphar or Potiphar's wife ever again. Do you know Why? Because I think in the king's prison, he began to learn it was God orchestrating his life. When he became prime minister, how scared do you think Potiphar became? Because guess who Potiphar now worked for? His former Hebrew slave, Joseph. Guess who could have thrown Potiphar into prison? Joseph. And just as God orchestrated Potiphar's wife, just as God orchestrated his 10 brothers, God now orchestrated the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. So as providence would have it, they landed in prison, in the same prison as Joseph. Now watch what happens. What a great principle this is. Joseph began serving these guys. He became their attendant. God favored Joseph so much in prison. It was the same favor as what was in Potiphar's house. 
God entrusted everything to him. So much so that Joseph had quite a bit of freedom in prison. And he began attending these guys. And one day, I just, I just, it blows my mind. I think, oh, what, what had to have been the daily grind of an Egyptian prison. But you know what? Joseph seemed content. And Joseph one day comes in. You can see it in verse number seven of chapter 40. He comes in to the chief baker and the chief uh, uh, cupbearer, whom now he's serving. And he says, your countenance is sad. What's wrong? Can't you picture Joseph? I mean, it's a bright, sunny day in Egypt, but you're down in the pit in prison. And Joseph walks in and says, fellas, what's wrong with you? How come you look sad? Joseph should have been angry. He should have felt jaded. Joseph certainly had the right to be cranky. And Joseph should have been all consumed in him. But you know what the principle is? I want you to hear me today. Here's the principle. When you suffer biblically, when you suffer well in life, you won't be all wrapped up in you. You'll notice others around you. You'll serve others around you. Do you see that, what Joseph's doing? Guys, what's wrong with you? Today's the day that the Lord has made. Why are you sad? Hello, Joseph. You're in the king's prison. I know, but it's a good day because the Lord is with me. Do you have that kind of attitude in life? Does your faith shape your attitude? Because do you know where your actions stem from? Your attitude. Does your faith shape and mold the attitude you have in life in your present suffering? It did Joseph. And so, <laughs> this is great. He, here he is in prison. He's asking other guys, what's wrong with you? Why are you sad? It makes me think of a wonderful quote by Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor was a phenomenal missionary in the late 1800s. He died in 1905. And if you're wondering, huh, I wonder if that's where Chad named Hudson after. It sure is. Hudson Taylor. I have two framed portraits in my office, David Livingston and Hudson Taylor. And Hudson Taylor has this massive long beard and David Livingston has this beautiful Irish mustache. And people walk in my office and they'll say, huh, is that your grandparents? (laughs) I always point to Hudson Taylor and say, yeah, that is my grandmother. Beautiful beard, isn't it? (laughs) Oh, boy, Hudson Taylor, what an outlook on life. And Hudson Taylor once said, the will of God is not really necessarily for me to know. It's really more so for the Lord to consider. Listen to what he said. Because if the Lord leads me into a good and kind place, I need the grace of God. And if the Lord chooses to lead me into a difficulty, then his grace is sufficient. Isn't that a beautiful way to see life? If I'm blessed, I need the grace of God. And if I'm in difficulty, I need the grace of God. So what does it matter which I'm in? Either way, I live by 
the grace of God. Amen? That's the right perspective. So Joseph is here. He, he, he's willing to serve these guys. And I'm not going to go into all of the detail of their dreams. You can read that on your own. And I encourage you to do that because it's fascinating. The cupbearer is going to have a very favorable dream, and Joseph's going to tell him, by the Spirit of the Lord, you're, you're going to get your job back. The chief baker had a very unfavorable dream, and he lost his life. But these guys are sad, and Joseph says, well, why are you sad? And they say, well, we both had a dream last night, and there's no one to interpret. <laughs> what an assumption on their part. There's, there's no one here to help us. You, you know why I think they said that? Is because they're used to, they're used to Pharaoh's house. They have the, the chief magicians. And that word magicians isn't like card tricks. That word magician means those who figured out the stars and those who looked into, is basically sorcery is what it is, divination. And the wisest of the wise was there in Pharaoh's house. And they go, well, there's no one here to interpret the dream. And Joseph says, well, actually, I, I interpret dreams by the grace of God. God. God will give you the answer. Do, do you know what the point is, my friends? I want you to listen to this. Joseph could have neglected his spiritual gift in the king's prison. But see, that's where God wanted to use it. Because you're going through something difficult right now, have you stopped serving the Lord? Because things are not ideal for you right now, have you backed off on God? Because maybe you're not where you want to be financially or you're not where you want to be in your health or perhaps your marriage right now is in trouble or right now you're dealing with difficult children or right now you're in a job change or a career change or right now things maybe feel topsy-turvy and because of that, you're just going, you know what, when I get through whatever this is, then I'll get serious with God. That's the wrong perspective, my friend. God wants to use your giftings now. God wants to use you in the midst of what you're facing now, not later. It's part of his plan. And thank God that Joseph did not lose sight of his giftings. He didn't throw his hand up and go, you know what? God wants me to interpret another dream. Then let him get me out of prison and then I'll do it. Wouldn't that have been a terrible attitude? And I believe that some of you, perhaps, you may not be saying it with your lips, but really the attitude of your heart is, God, do you want me to do something for you? Then fix my life. God, do you want me to serve you? Then give me more time. Then give me a better job. Then get me out of this mess. Then change my circumstance. God, do you want me to, you want me to go back and do that? God, then you change this, and then I'll consider it. No, no. Let me tell you, my friend, you'll be in the king's prison for a mighty, mighty long time. So Joseph tells the cupbearer, in three days, you'll have your job back. You'll be handing the cup to Pharaoh. And Joseph says something so interesting. Joseph says, when you're before Pharaoh, will you remember me? Will you tell him that I'm a Hebrew and I was ripped from my father? 
I was carried down here against my will. I was falsely accused. And now I'm in prison. And will you plead my case and help release me? Do you know what I see in that church? Listen. I don't think that when you and I find ourselves in the king's prison, when we're in unfair circumstances in life, I don't think it means that we're fake and we go, you know what, I'm okay. That's not being fake. I think it's okay to want God to change your situation. Don't feel unspiritual because you want God to change things. Do you think I want the Lord to open my eyes? Oh, absolutely. See, there's a lesson I'm learning in the king's prison. More than I want God to change my circumstance. More than I desire that. I'm beginning to desire more so that he change me. What are you learning in the king's prison? You're not unspiritual because you want your situation to change. What's unspiritual is if you throw a temper tantrum in the prison because you're there in the first place. What do you do when life's unfair? Oh, bigger question. What do you do when God is unfair? Well, you know what you do? You submit to the king's prison because what God wants to do in this chapter of your life is going to set up the rest of your story. And that's what I learned the most from Joseph's life. His life are chapters. And right now you may be in a chapter of hurt. You may be in a chapter of pain. You may be in a chapter of loss. You may be in a chapter of despair. You may be in a chapter of suffering. But my friend, it is not the entire book. It's a chapter. Amen? And Joseph says, remember me. Well, he didn't. We'll see next week in chapter 41 that two whole years passed before the cupbearer remembered him. And this is going to be my last point today. He, Joseph had the ability to sense God with him. Do you, do you believe that God's with you today? Are you not only looking backward and seeing God's hand Are you looking today for God's hand because he's not left you where you are? God is with you. And Joseph had the ability to recognize, to sense God's presence. Joseph had the ability to notice others. He had the ability to look beyond fairness. He looked beyond himself. He looked beyond life's circumstances. He looked beyond the unfairness of others like Potiphar's wife. He looked beyond all of that and he looked directly to the divine sovereign hand of God. Do you have that ability to say, I didn't lose that job because of a boss. I didn't, I didn't, Uh, lose this or that or you could fill in the blank with a hundred different things. I didn't lose that by chance. God's brought me to the place where I am. Do you notice others? Joseph had the ability to notice others in the midst of his suffering. He had the ability to use his gifts in the midst of his suffering. Are you serving God right now in the midst of what you're doing? I'll be honest with you, my, 
one of the things that, that shocks me is people I hadn't seen in a long time, they'll, they'll come up to, oh, I can't see them now, so <laughs> it makes no difference. But the people I hadn't seen in a long time, they'll come up and they'll say, they'll say, they'll say, now, Chad, are you still preaching? What else would I be doing? Chad, are you still pastoring? What do you think I'm... What else would I do? Whatever you're suffering today, let me ask, are you still serving God? Because it shouldn't matter and it shouldn't change. The last thing I want you to see in this text. So, so uh, we don't know any timeline on Joseph's life. Here's the only thing we know. At age 17, he sold into Egypt. At age 30, he stands before Pharaoh and becomes prime minister. And then he dies at age 110. That's the only time frame we're given. What we don't know is how long he was at Potiphar's house and how long he was in prison. Now see, the Bible is going to tell us in the next chapter, he was there two whole years after the cupbearer was released. But how long was he there before? We don't know. What's the point? Some of you are more called up in the timing. You're more called up. When's this going to change? When's God going to get me out of this? When are things going to be different? When's God going to intervene? And you're just this ball of frustration. Well, let me tell you, friends, God has his timing. Adrian Rogers said, God's not as interested in time as he is timing. And God has his timing. But let me tell you what the Bible says, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. God's ways are not our ways. And his thoughts are far above our thoughts. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not upon your own understanding, but in all your ways. Acknowledge him. And he'll direct your steps. He'll make straight your paths. But see, in our culture, and you know this, in our Western American culture, we, we want everything to fit nice, don't we? We love our calendars. We like for all of our squares to line up and everything fits real nice. And I got to have this scheduled and that scheduled and this. And, and I want it to make sense. And I want to know the beginning and I want to know the ending. Are we not that way? And we begin to get antsy with God. And we're saying, God, I know I'm here by design. I know I'm here on purpose. I know I'm in the king's prison. But when is it going to change? And God is silent. But just because he's silent doesn't mean he's not with you, Joseph. And today, if you're this ball of frustration because you're saying, when are things going to change? Don't worry about that. That's not for you to know. That's not walking by faith. That's walking by sight. And if you really want to walk by faith today, then understand the timing is not for you to know. What's for you to know? God, I'm not worried about when you're going to change things. Oh, God, change me. Change me. Change me. From the inside out, change me. 
So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed today, what's God doing in your life? What's he doing? Has he brought you to the king's prison? Are you in a place of suffering right now? Are you in a place of waiting? Are you in a place where it's unfair? Well, let me tell you the truth. Fairness has nothing to do with it. God wants you in a place of faith. And he'll do what he must to grow your faith. And I'm telling you right now, by the authority of God's word, where God wants you to be in the future, you've got to go through the king's prison. <laughs> There's no way. Listen, you're not going to be ready. You're not going to be prepared. You're not going to be used. God's not going to get his glory unless you go through the king's prison. So stop despising it. Stop getting angry at God. Stop getting mad at life. Stop pointing your fingers at other people and saying, you caused this and you caused... No, my friend, God has caused it for a great purpose. And he's not going to leave you there. He's not going to leave you there. Today, if you need to come and pray, if you need to give your circumstance to God, if you need to come and submit... And say, God, I submit under the mighty hand of God. I don't know when things are going to change, but I come today to this altar and I'm asking God, change me, Lord. Change me today. And after you've changed me, then you're welcome to change my circumstance. And even if you don't, it doesn't matter because you've changed me. If you need to come, you come right now. People will come pray with you. You come right now. If you need to just submit and say, Lord, I will go through the king's prison. I will, Lord. I'll stop despising my circumstance. I'll stop despising where I am in life. And I will submit myself for as long as it takes, Lord. For as long as it takes. And I yield to the king's prison. I'm not in just some ordinary place in life right now. I'm not at the mercy of just whatever happens. I'm not at the mercy of crazy events. It's the providential, sovereign hand of God that's on my life. And if you choose this hardship, then I go through it with joy. If you choose this suffering, then I submit with joy in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Lord, we yield ourselves to you, God. It's the king's prison. Lord, before you bring us to the palace, you've got to take us through the prison. Before you promote us, before you elevate us, before you trust us, we have to use our gifts in the king's prison. We have to be joyful. How can we be joyful in the palace if we don't learn to be joyful in the king's prison? How can we know you're with us in the palace if you're not with us in the prison and if we despise that? So God, teach us how to handle suffering. Teach us how to handle disappointments. Teach us how to handle sorrow as your people, God. To say it doesn't matter what happens to me. I want the glory of God. If my life will glorify God, that's all I want. That's all I want. I will walk by faith and not by sight in the king's prison. I don't know when things will change. 
I don't know when favor is going to come. I don't know when I'm going to be released. I don't know when circumstances will be different. I don't know, but it's not for me to know. What's for me to know is that the Lord right now is with me. That's what I need to know. That's what I need to know. The Lord is with me. And if the Lord is with me, then that's all that matters. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. Somebody you know in a king's prison today, why don't you pray for them? God, give them strength. God, give them hope. Help them, Lord. Help them in the midst of their adversity. Hallelujah. And God, may we be like King David in Psalm 119. May we ultimately be able to say, it is good that the Lord has afflicted me that I might learn his statutes. Change me, oh Lord. Change me. Change me. Teach me, Lord, that contentment with godliness is great gain. In Jesus' name. Now, Lord, you're not going to leave Joseph in prison. We're going to leave him there this week. But when we come back next week, (laughs) there's a new robe awaiting him. There's a gold chain about to go on his neck. And the gold signet ring of Pharaoh himself is about to be in the, on that finger that was bound in chains. Oh, what a turnaround. But teach us, Lord, it's the preparing of a man that you're the most interested in. Prepare me, Lord. Prepare our people. Prepare our families. Prepare our marriages. And the sufferings that you appoint and the sufferings that you ordain, we don't despise them, Lord. We count them as joy in Jesus' name. And until you change our circumstance, keep changing us. Until you get absolute glory, absolute honor, and absolute praise out of our lives. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you.